Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome to this episode of the Scottish Paddlecast, brought to you by the Scottish Canoe Association. You're currently tuning into the latest episode of the People of Paddle Sport series, where we are catching up with the diverse characters across the Scottish paddle sport community. If you haven't listened to our earlier episodes or our coaching conversation series with Doug McDonald, I would highly recommend that you do. I'm your co-host, Lara Cooper. And I'm Roger Holmes. We hope you're all keeping well. And today we are talking to Jonathan Riddle, who is a member of Edinburgh Kayak Club and a keen freestyle paddler. We're talking today about his experience of how paddle sport helps him both mentally and physically recover from a serious head injury. So, welcome, Jonathan. Hi, thanks a lot for having me. <laughs> um, I guess our first question on all these has been, um, if you could paddle anywhere in the world, where would it be? Who would it be with? And in what craft? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. And uh, I could give many answers. Um, but I think uh, I'm the secretary of the Andy Jackson Fund for Access. And so I uh, always... Uh, we had these committee meetings where we talk about the legacy of Andy Jackson, who pioneered a lot of paddling in the 90s, but I never had the privilege of meeting him or paddling with him. So I think I would paddle with Andy Jackson. And I run the SCA um, Where's the Water website with, with all the river gauges. So I get to look at um, often quite obscure, far-flung rivers uh, that I've never paddled. So I think I would, in a, in a dream scenario, I would go with Andy to the most far-flung parts of the SCA Where's the Water map, maybe the Snizort in the, on the Isle of Skye, just because it's got a great name, and I'd, I'd go and paddle there with him. Oh, nice. I like that. <laughs> that's great. That's, that's one of the best answers we've had, Jonathan. I like that. Thank you. Jonathan, you're obviously a keen whitewater paddler. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about your journey into paddling and how you started. Oh, I started paddling before I could walk. My, my dad is Kelso, who's the finance director at the SCA. So he introduced me to uh, canoeing on, on the canal in Edinburgh, uh, the Union Canal. Um, and I would have done uh, slalom as a, as a child, which is a great discipline for, for children to get into. And I, I sort of have a pattern where I do disciplines until I become, I win some significant trophy in in scotland and then it becomes a bit like hard work so then i move on to something else so i won scottish schools j12 championship i think in slalom and and then it became a bit like hard work so i i did um white water as a teenager and i i won scottish champion i think j16 at that and that felt very satisfying but it, then it became quite hard work so then I, at university i did more general white water paddling um and uh, in later years i've taken up I've done polo um, up to Div 1, also done that in around Spain, um, and freestyle paddling. Quite a, quite a varied uh, life in paddle sport there, Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, I guess the, the, the reason for this, this podcast was to discuss um, how paddle sport helped you with your you um, through a head injury. I get, and I believe this happened in Guadeloupe. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about... Um, living in Guadeloupe? So about 10 years ago, I um, was at a loose end and I do computer work. Um, so people always say, oh, you can work anywhere. Why do you, why do you work in Scotland? And I say, because Scotland is awesome. It's got the best paddling here. Um, but, but one day it occurred to me they had a point. So when I was at a conference in somewhere in America, instead of flying back across the Atlantic, I flew south to Guadeloupe, which is a beautiful tropical island um, in the Caribbean. 
so it's a department of France, so it's part of Europe. And um, being a citizen of Europe, I had the freedom to to just go and live there. Um, but unlike most departments of France, it's it's an island in the Caribbean. Um, so I got to move there and, and you get to drink tea punch on, on a beautiful beach with um, with your baguette dipping dipped into camembert on the barbecue and, and that was great. Uh, and and it gave me a different eye into canoeing because being a, a small island, uh, there's no big rivers to do, but uh, they I got to do some new disciplines, new to me, um, that have since taken off in Scotland, interestingly. So it was the first place that I did wave ski, which is um, an open-top surfboard that you sit on as a, as a kayak. It's got a seat and it's got ankle straps. Um, and you, you get to surf in it doing surf kayaking. Um, and they're often a bit more maneuverable than closed deck kayaks. And because the water is warm in, in the Caribbean, uh, there's, there's no fear of it being any cold water or anything. And the surf in Guadalupe is awesome because it's Atlantic surf, uh, but there's a reef around a lot of the islands. So just off the beaches, it's pretty flat calm. Most of the time you can, um, it's very safe. Um, but just a couple hundred meters offshore, there's, there's reefs that where there's reliable surf every day. Um, sometimes smaller waves, sometimes really big, um, really fun waves. So I got to got to paddle uh, wave skis there with the with the locals, and it was also the first place that I saw surf skis being paddled. So that's the ocean racing crafts that have since um, taken off. There's now organised events in Scotland, but that was the first place that we got to uh, paddle around some of the smaller islands uh, as races uh, in Guadeloupe. We started it there. <laughs> Wow, it sounds uh, it sounds idyllic, and isn't I'm a keen watcher of Death in Paradise. Isn't that where it was filmed? Is that right? Yeah, it's filmed in a sort of fictionalized, anglicized version of of Guadeloupe, and and it's pretty accurate. It, it is uh, um, a good depiction of the place. Great, and um, obviously, um, it, life took a pretty um, major turn of events while you were there um it wasn't all paradise um and i understand that's where you were when you had a pretty serious accident life-changing accident you want to tell us a little bit about that coming back from the beach one day there's a dual carriageway around the the, uh, edge of the island like most islands and i would have to cross over from one side to the other and and then three days later i I woke up in hospital i have no memory of, of what happened whatsoever um, and I like to joke that well, maybe I was like paddling, some pirates came along and, and attacked me or something. But um, I pieced together afterwards that um, it would have been another car that just hit me as I was crossing over this dual carriageway at about 120 kilometers an hour. Um, my head smashed forward into the steering wheel. Um, I was unconscious immediately. As I say, any memories were lost. So I, I don't remember uh, the 20 odd minutes prior to that. Um, Millions of neurons disconnected, bruising in the head. Um, the island shut down in terms of traffic because there was the both sides of this dual carriageway shut off. Um, and um, when a severe head trauma event like that happens, uh, it, the clock kind of starts ticking because you have to get to hospital pretty fast. Uh, otherwise, uh, the problems from inflammation of the brain or or fluids leaking into the brain. Um, can cause a lot more further brain damage besides the original trauma. Uh, so they sent out a helicopter to me, which uh, would have been quite fun if, if only I had been there to remember it. Um, and they would have got me into hospital and would have done lots of close monitoring to make sure that I, the pressure in my head wasn't 
swelling up too much. Um, and if that does happen, then they would have to had to drill in and, and uh, kind of drip pan into the skull to release some fluids. Um, that doesn't seem to have happened for me, but um, well, I don't really know because I, I didn't end up with any notes from afterwards. Wow. Wow. And that must have been quite um, unnerving being in a foreign country while that was happening. Um, did you stay in Guadeloupe for long afterwards or did you come back to the UK? Uh, no, I had to I had to come back. I think I, I probably seem to remember waking up after about a day, uh, having no idea what was going on. Um, and my flatmate being there and speaking to her, so she told me, and then I, I seem to remember speaking perfect French to the nurses, which means I probably... Uh, my memory would have been playing tricks because I don't speak perfect French. Um, and then on day two, I woke up again and they they said, great, off you go home. Um, but I collapsed on the floor, so that didn't work. And then on, on day three, I, I woke up again. And they sent me home in a taxi where I, I left all my hospital notes. So I don't uh, don't have any record of anything, as I say. Um, and then my dad came out and did his fatherly helpful duties, which I'm very grateful for and, and helped me manage to get home. Um, because I wasn't, I didn't, didn't have obviously a lot of energy, a lot of, uh, understanding of how to get out of there, how to get the passport off the, the polis, had to recover the, my, my canoe, my, uh, yeah, my kayak and paddle was in the hire car that got crashed into, so I had to get that recovered and back to the club, um, and then get back to, back to Scotland for, uh, to try and get, get some recovery. Absolutely. <laughs> What was it like when she returned to Scotland then, Jonathan? What what happened after that? Well, a lot of uh, a lot of being snooty, a lot of um, taking life slowly and easily, um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of being in bed, but also trying to trying to make sure that I didn't just um, wallow in my misery in bed or anything. Trying to keep up at least daily walks out the house and so forth. Um, and in, in terms of uh, treatment from the NHS, they, they gave me an MRI scan. So these are the magical machines that, that can see inside your brain to, to see if there's any uh, significant patches of dead tissue in there. And fortunately, there's, there, there wasn't. So that was uh, a pretty good sign. Um, otherwise, the, the doctors were not able to do terribly much for me um, because I a head injury, brain damage, is such a complex, unknown, untreatable condition that um, there's nothing much they can do. And doctors hate saying, I don't know what will happen, but they don't know what will happen. Um, they'll say, oh, and you have about two years of recovery and, and your brain plasticity will, will kind of set off that. But it's not really true. Um, and, uh, and because I was able to be, I, I had no physical injuries and I was able to uh, talk and have a fair amount of memory. Um, the the main advice that I got was, well, don't drink too much alcohol and and you'll be fine. Um, and uh, yeah, you, so there's not very much that they can do and there's not very much um, treatment that they did do. Um, I also had a stretched eye nerve muscle at the back of my eye got stretched, so I had double vision. Um, so I had to get uh, surgery in both my eyes from that um, and that's that's a lot more tangible and so the, the eye pavilion in Edinburgh did a great job there um, but in terms of uh, the head effects it was, I was mostly on my own. That must have been really um, really difficult to go through that phase of 
um, without a huge amount of medical support or without many answers and much tangible um, things. What, what, um, I understand that you got back into paddling pretty quickly and you've clearly, your life has been full of paddling and paddling adventures before this happened. Um, how did your, how did getting back into paddling start? So I sort of quickly realized that there wasn't um, any obvious treatment to this. You can't just take a pill and, and it'll get fixed. Um, and similarly, you can't, there's no prescribed physio that you can do and, and it'll um, rebuild. Uh, you just have to stay happy and, and healthy and look after yourself and know when to relax and uh, be aware of the symptoms that will come along. And there's any number of different symptoms from people who have uh, acquired brain injury, um, anything from sort of depression and anxiety to a lot of fatigue, a lot of um, brain fog, um, a lot of just staring at walls. I would just spend days just lying on the sofa, kind of staring up at the ceiling um, because that's all my, my body was capable of doing. Um, but as I say, I was early on, I was pretty keen to make sure that I, I got out of the house and I didn't just wallow in my own misery. And and so the, the way to stay happy and healthy, of course, is to go paddling. That's always the, the best cure for so many things. Um, so that started off by um, going to the local club and, and just watching the, the polo sessions as people um, threw balls around on the water. And then... Um, after a few weeks, I was able to start waving my arms around, had the energy to do some refereeing, so I could I could blow a whistle and I could I could um, tell people when they when they had scored a goal or, or caused a penalty. Um, so that felt like a really great way to to reintegrate in society, as it were. Um, and then slowly, after a few months, I was able to get back in a boat and, and start throwing a ball around myself. Um, and that's when doing yeah doing polo sort of took off for me. Brilliant. And that must have been great for your, for your sort of your, your mental well-being as you were starting to return to starting to um, do the things that you're used to doing, and um, yeah, and getting that back up and running. When when um, one of the best ways to understand how something works is to take it apart and put it back together. And having uh, severe head trauma. Um, is effectively taking your brain apart and then putting it back together as it heals, as those neurons reconnect um, and um, and new um, rebuilt concepts get made in your mind. So um, being able to do something like paddling and, and polo, that involves a lot of physical coordination, awareness all around you. Um, it is kind of time critical, but there's also lots of um, exercises uh, that you do as part of the training of that, which where you can you can sort of expect when or where the ball's going to come. So it's a good way to build up those neural connections um, as your body relearns how to re-engage with the world. Um, and it, a lot of people get uh, mental health problems after having a, a head injury like that. Um, it's pretty common that you'll get depression and anxiety and so forth. Largely, I've I've avoided that and I put that down to being able to go paddling every day to uh, just being being able to be happy on the water and water is such an instinctive way for humans to to be happy um, along with paddling with other people. Brilliant that's great and polo is a great social sport for that isn't it the, the team the team working together and being in a great environment where there's um, a real com- camaraderie which must have um, lifted the spirits as well. It is, and when you're in a in a swimming pool, then it's warm. So I'm got very temperature dependent, and 
yeah, often when I got cold and suddenly the, the effects of the head injury would, would kick in and then I just wouldn't be able to be very active. I would, I would slow down and my thinking would slow down. Um, so Polo has the advantage that um, in the heat of the competition, well, you're at least nice and warm in a swimming pool. So it was one competition that I was able to do. Great. And I didn't, um, we were chatting about this um, previously and I hadn't associated um, challenges with temperature regulation with head injuries. I thought that was really interesting that you, um, that that's a, that that is a thing. Um, yeah. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about that. Every head injury that people have will be completely different and unique. Um, and the symptoms will be very varied and, and different and unique. Um, but one common symptom is that, well, it affects your metabolism, that whether or not you're able to um, have enough energy in your mind to think about stuff, have enough energy in your muscles to, to move about, um, varies uh, sort of day to day and, and unpredictably. Um, so, yeah, if I get cold, then suddenly that's um, fairly logical that um, you get cold and you slow down. But most healthy bodies uh, will have means to regulate that. And uh, to a fair extent, my my mind lost that ability to do that. Uh, similarly, if I if I didn't drink enough water, then um, my mind would slow down and I wouldn't be able to think of things or I wouldn't be able to, to physically do stuff. Um, or if I missed out a meal, um, and that's still a, a problem, if I, for whatever reason, I get busy and I don't have lunch in the day, then somehow by about five o'clock, I'll go, oh, why am I not um, able to think things through? And oh, it's because I, I missed out a meal. Um, so I drank a lot of iron brew in, in the early days of my recovery um, just because there's a quick fix, good sugar and caffeine that, that fixes it. It's not very sustainable, but sometimes you just have to do whatever is a quick fix in order to get over the initial problems. Great. And then when we were chatting before, you were sharing the story about getting onto the water in San Francisco. Um, and was that a couple of years after your accident? No, it was only six months. So the, the job I had at the time, we had a conference every six months. Um, and whenever I go traveling around the world, I like to uh, go paddling when I travel there. Um, so the next conference uh, was in Oakland, which is just opposite the bay from San Francisco. And I went there as I, I often do a day or two early uh, in order to see what paddling there is. And I hired a kayak from the local uh, kayak shop. And this is America, so they, they make you sign a disclaimer to say you won't sue them, and then on you go, that, that's you on your own. But they, they say, oh, turn left, go inland when you when you launch. So I, I got in this kayak, and I looked inland, and that looked fine. And then I looked to my right, and I saw San Francisco, the famous skyline there, and I thought, that looks a lot more fun. So I, I turned right, and I managed to paddle all the way under the Oakland Bridge to San Francisco, which I think is about twice as far as the, the fourth bridge. Um, over one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world, there's shipping tankers coming in here from uh, from all over the Pacific. Um, um, and of course, they're good to know what currents and tides there were at the time, but I just thought, well, here's a challenge. Um, I'll be pretty chuffed if I can do it. So I, I did, and I managed to get across to the other side. And of course, and what's really interesting in my psychology, um, you can say a head injury, well, it's on the head, right? So often the effects, I don't particularly notice them or they don't affect me when I'm paddling because that's a happy and healthy place to be. As soon as I got across the other side, got onto the pier in San Francisco, I kind of collapsed on the side and went, oh, actually, I'm really tired now. And I, 
not entirely sure I can make it all the way back. Um, but this is America, so they have sugary drinks on easy hand. So I managed to get a, a high sugar um, Coca-Cola or something, and that gave me enough energy to get back in the boat. And, and then I went, oh, well, I could go on. Um, so I turned north, and I went up to Alcatraz, um, which is another good long paddle, good few miles um, to you know, paddle around for that um, former prison tourist site now. Wave at the tourists, wave at the man in the, in the uniform with the pointy stick. And uh, um, by by early afternoon, I was thinking, well, this is good. I can I can paddle back. This is the longest trip, uh, one of the longest trips that I've probably done in my life, never mind uh, having had a head injury. But I made it back to San Francisco, and then I managed to make it all the way back across uh, that bay to Oakland um, and returned the kayak to the to the kayaking people and they were pretty impressed that I had managed to make it out to to Alcatraz and um I said that I'd, I'd uh, wave to the wave to the people there and they said oh don't do that there's a federal protective zone you'll you'll get shot by the federal guard if you do that so that's why the guy with the pointy stick was waving at me fortunately he decided not to shoot me that day that was a win on both counts that is some story Jonathan that really is <laughs> To go for that as your first main paddle and probably one of the biggest paddles in your life to, to do that six months after a head injury is absolutely amazing. And I was uh, I was dead the day after, of course, because as I say, I could I can it doesn't seem to affect my paddling because that's my happy place in my mind. But as soon as I stopped paddling, then of course the effects uh, hit me. So I, I slept all through the next day. So sort of this is now ten years on from your accident. How do you feel that's affected your paddling now? maybe positively or or affected well, your recovery well i i've tried to uh, try to expand my paddling as i say i always like to do different things um but it, it has been a struggle because it's quite uh with a head injury it can be pretty uh it's pretty soul destroying um at times because uh if you forget your kit i, w- I was at the coaching volunteer conference one year and um uh, just doing a, a trip on the river and we turned up the river and my kit wasn't in the van. Um, so there's a, a pretty basic rookie error that um, uh, that um, I kind of knew was going to happen. So I put in place all the, all the um, checks and asked my friend, can you make sure that I actually have my kit with me? Um, but then it, it didn't fall together. It didn't work. Um, and people often say, is that, frustrating and the trouble is being frustrating needs energy and often when the head injury is in a a bad place then i don't have the energy to be frustrating so it's it's just more kind of uh, endless soul destroying not again oh have i lost my keys and you often don't get a lot of a lot of sympathy from people because if you lose your keys or you you forget some part of your kit or something then people go oh well that that always happens to me as well um because a lot of the symptoms of having a head injury are very similar to um, what everyone gets um, at some point in, in their lives or in their days. Um, but of course, with a head injury, it's something a lot more serious and it's a lot more frequent, a lot more common. Um, and well, to, to be topical to current times, a lot of the symptoms of a head injury are pretty similar to uh, long COVID. So a lot of fatigue, a lot of uh, unknown pain, sort of times when your muscles just won't work and you don't quite know it, it has overlap with chronic fatigue as well with me um and and this is something which um most people seem to be aware of but there's very little 
necessarily understanding of how to deal with it or, or how to um, help a person who has these sort of symptoms for, for whatever reason. Um, and just yesterday I saw on the BBC a stand-up telly program with Joe Brand where she was joking, ah, I have, with brain fog, I've had brain fog since I was 40. And, well, that's all very funny to her, but it, you wouldn't make that kind of joke about any other disability. But it's kind of strange that... Um, there's, there's so little appreciation for some of this and it's so intangible and so nebulous um, that um, it, it's still just a, a matter of sort of joking without uh, without much in the way of understanding how it can affect people. So, uh, do, does it affect you different day to day? So one day you might be fine and the next day you, without necessarily doing an exceptional amount of exercise or is it is it sort of changeable just day to day even now yeah it is and um it's quite um yeah it's quite unpredictable and 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 often i won't know when it's affecting me and i have to hope that somebody else tells me oh yeah i'm not quite acting properly i should sit down and and have a bit of a have a bit of a rest um with the double vision on the eye that had the effect that um because the, the brain self-corrects your vision, um, that I could more easily tell whether or not my brain was in a bad place is because my vision was in a bad place. My vision didn't change day to day, but my brain's ability to deal with it uh, kind of did. It also had the effect that when I wore an, an eye patch, that, that people would at least know that there was something going on here that I, I had a visible disability. Um, so that gave people something to ask about and talk about and ask what the effects are. Um, while I've been on many coached sessions with my paddling, but I've only ever had one coach who's ever asked me how it affects my paddling or how they how they will what adjustments they might need to make for the session that they're running um, for my for my uh, for the canoeing session. Um, so it's something that uh, coaches ought to be sort of more aware of how they can how they can deal with um, people in their groups that have these kind of issues. I think that's a really pertinent point, Jonathan, and a really good message for all of us to remember that, that there are so many um, things going on in the background that you can't see, um, and that it's very easy to um, see somebody, uh, make the assumption that somebody's fit and healthy and, and able, and, and, and actually there's probably some stuff going on in the background that if we don't ask and we don't talk about and we don't bring it up in the conversation, um, yeah, that, that goes unsaid and unnoticed and and I'm sure there's times when you felt you could have done with a bit more support from those people around you to um, to help um, to help you um, get that enjoyment out of the sport that you clearly do. Which is it's really difficult, of course, because you, as I say, everyone with every brain injury is different. Even the medical terms for it are not consistent. Is it brain damage? Is it um, um, is it um, brain injury, acquired brain injury, severe head trauma? Uh, concussion, all these things kind of mean, this, mean the same thing, um, but it just happens to have lots of different words because it's not very well understood. I ran a session for Headway, um, who are the head injury charity, um, just taking some of their service users out in the canal for a gentle paddle. Um, and, it, and it kind of showed up how difficult it is to make adjustments for this coaching because um, I, I'd made uh, changes in my expectation for how to coach. Um, but a lot of the changes that I made were, uh, well, 
people might be a bit less, a, a bit weaker in ability to get in the boat. So we'll just get in the boat on the land, which is what we did with children at the, at the place. Um, but it turns out, of course, that you can do that with children and slide children in, but then you can't do it with adults. You can't just slide adults in the water because they're a lot more heavier. Um, so a lot of the adaptions that we had to make for that um, were kind of hard to predict ahead of time. And they're all quite unique to different people. And they won't necessarily know uh, if you ask them ahead of time, of course, because they don't necessarily know. Um, nevertheless, it was a great session that I ran with Headway because five years later, I met someone in a completely different context and said I was a canoeist. And he said, oh, yeah, I loved canoeing. I did a session of it five years ago. So we realized that we were talking about the session that I had run. It had really, really stuck with him for the last um, five years. Uh, so I recommend it as a, as a good therapy for everyone. That's great, Jonathan. That's Even with your experience, actually managing to interpret other people's needs is still a challenge, isn't it? And as Lara, Lara was saying, it's it's just thinking about those hidden hidden needs that people have. When we were talking to you previously, we, we you mentioned that you'd actually achieved your advanced whitewater leader. Um, perhaps you could share something of of your journey through that, because that's obviously since your head injury. One of the few bits of advice that that you consistently get from people and medics uh, when talking about head injury is you've got to keep learning. You've got to keep trying new things um, and and doing sort of self-development to keep getting new skills. Otherwise, you, you stagnate. So one of the first things that I did actually was get my minibus driver's license um, because there's a tangible way to help your canoe club. Um, there's a good way to make sure I have, I'm confident driving on the roads again because I've got a government um, given car car carrying government license to say I'm a good uh, driver and and pick up new disciplines like pull and, and freestyle um, but then also wanted to make sure that I could um, up my up my game in, in white water paddling as I say I run where's the water and I get to see all these great rivers and I, I write the the white water guidebooks so I get to see all these great rivers and, and it's important to actually get out on them uh, so I, I wanted to make sure I could um, do the advanced white water leader, which took I, it took me ten years actually, because I first did the first training long before I'd been to Guadeloupe, and then I happened to do not enough trips, and yeah, getting enough high level kind of trips is quite difficult to do, especially in a club context, because in a club you've got to often work to the lowest common denominator. You've got to make sure things are safe, and if people turn up who are not going to not going to manage on the grade four rapids, then you go somewhere a bit easier. Um, uh, but I was keen to do the advanced whitewater leader, so I, I retrained in that a few years later. Um, and oh, I was told that oh, I was using club kit, and if I turned up with that kind of kit, I was using my freestyle paddle, which is a, a different length. And so I was told that if I turned up with a sort of half-broken club boat and, and a freestyle paddle that was too short for whitewater, then I'd uh, probably not get the award. So I had to invest, and in I bought a decent boat, um, and a decent long paddle and uh, I'll buy some extra dry suit thermals because as I say temperature dependent um, to a large extent I just have to accept okay I've got to splash out on, on good quality kit so I can stay warm and, and be performant um, and managed to get enough enough trips up done I managed to jump off the falls of Falach which is uh, north of Loch Lomond it's a 10 meter waterfall I would say it was scary but you don't have time to be scared and that, that kind of setup you, you've got a You've got to just concentrate on your performance. And, and this 10-meter waterfall, it's got a one-meter drop beforehand, which would normally be nothing, but it, it, it's enough to put you off your line uh, so that 
when when you're facing the main event, that main 10 meter waterfall, you've got to make sure you're exactly um, at the right angle. Otherwise, you'll do yourself serious injury. You'll, you'll damage it. So I, I did jump off this 10 meter waterfall and that was that was awesome fun. Um, when I came out from that, I, I sort of checked myself over and went, well, my head's good. And well, I feel like I've got a bit of a bruise in my side of my cheek, but I think that's okay. Two days later, my tooth fell out. So two days later, I was just eating something and uh, the the effect of this this drop had caused my tooth to fall out. So uh, yeah, I had to get a, get a whole new tooth put in there. Um, but at least my head was fine. <laughs> That's amazing, Jonathan. It's it's fantastic to hear how um, you know a life changing head injury, which has obviously clearly affected you um, over the la- over these last ten or so years, um, that it hasn't stopped you um, learning new things, trying new things, going on adventures, pushing yourself, um, achieving some quite significant things. You know, sort of, to, it's no mean feat to complete your advanced white water kite leader or the preparation it requires. Um, sharp decision making, looking after people on the water, and it's just wonderful to hear how how you haven't let your your limitations um, stop that from happening, and a real inspiration, hopefully, to others that um, that we can achieve we can achieve things, and with that drive and that passion, paddling can bring so much to us um, if we if we grasp those opportunities when we can. We're going to ask a final question as we start to come to a close this afternoon. What could we learn from your experience? What could others have done that would have helped you um, over these last few years? The main thing is to sort of ask when you're out paddling with a group, ask how what relevant medical issues they have that might affect them. Um, and you're told to do that on your on your leader qualifications, but as I say, I've never had anybody who actually does that. And then keep that in mind as you're going down the river, right? Remember to act on that advice. Be patient with with me or with people with um, similar conditions. As I say, long COVID is pretty topical, so I expect this will be an active issue. I've done the palatability uh, training course, and that's great, but it's mostly about people with physical disabilities, mostly about missing limbs or, or feet that don't work. That's really important, but I think there's there's something more that can be done as well that can be added in for um, so less visible disabilities that um, affect really quite a, quite a large number of people in completely varying uh, degrees. Um, I often think that the word um, disabled putting people in the category of disabled or not disabled is is a pretty false categorization because show me someone without any health issues and I'll show you a miracle. It's everyone has some health issues that will affect them in some way or other. And the question is, as a leader, as a coach, as a friend, um, is just to try and make yourself aware and, and learn how to do that and how they will affect you in a particular situation you're in, if it's paddling or anything else. No, that's great, Jonathan. Some some really good advice and something I think for all of us to reflect upon. It's interesting to find there's a dual carriageway around Guadeloupe. To avoid paddling around San Francisco or around Alcatraz, to avoid the men with pointy sticks. Um, great to hear about your coaching journey and your your advanced water um, white water leader. Um, really appreciate that. Thank you very much. That was really fascinating. What an interview, Jonathan. Um, a big thank you to Jonathan for joining us today and providing us with such an in- insight and sharing from his heart some of the challenges that he's faced over the last few years. There's a lot that le- listeners can take home from, take home from this. Um, paddling can help us through the difficult times in our lives. 
we can reset goals and go on to achieve. I'm hoping that Jonathan's story has inspired you, his sense of adventure, his desire and drive to try new things, to learn new things, to make the most of life, um, and to keep paddling a very much part of part of life and not letting not letting those challenges that we all face um, in some way, shape, or form from stopping us from from our paddling activities. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Um, be sure to like and subscribe to us whenever, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify and Apple. We hope you enjoyed listening today. And most importantly, we hope you're keeping safe and well. Goodbye. Thanks for having me. Goodbye. Goodbye.